Well, good morning, church. How are we? So, six years ago, I left my job in the pharmaceutical industry at GlaxoSmithKline and came to work here at Mannheim BIC. And when I first left GSK, I would get regular texts and emails and phone calls from my, my former co-workers. We'd do stuff together. Hey, there's this thing, come on out, let's grab lunch together. So-and-so got promoted so that they kept me in the loop with all the news. But over time, that communication dropped off. I still know them, they are great people, I count them as my friends, but because time and circumstances have separated us, the texts and the emails and the phone calls rarely come in anymore. And because of that, there's not an active relationship there anymore. And so on the rare occasions that we do connect, we take the the inevitable trip down memory lane, We catch up about our families, talk about the weather, and pretty soon we have run out of stuff to talk about because I'm out of the communication loop and that has impacted that relationship because the reality is relationship cannot thrive without active communication. Active relationship needs active communication. So contrast my GSK experience with my communication with Cindy, and I've told you this story before, but my communication with Cindy when I was deployed out on a ship as a Marine for six months in the middle of of the Mediterranean Sea. And that would have been back in the mid-1990s before widespread use of email And when I was away, I was not part of her day-to-day, and time and circumstances did separate us, but we intentionally fed that relationship through active communication. We mailed each other snail mail letters every single day. And even though we were apart, that relationship did thrive because of that active communication to keep in active communication with her was something that I wanted more than anything. God has communicated to you and I through his word, through scripture, because Christianity is not a bunch of dusty teachings, but ultimately it is an active relationship with a loving father. And so to be in scripture, to be reading scripture, to be in God's word, to be listening to what he is saying to us through his word, this is an absolutely foundational element to what it means to be a follower of Christ because active relationship needs active communication. And so this morning, we are going to talk about simply how we read Scripture in a way that makes it come alive, how we read Scripture in a way that feeds that active relationship that we are in with our Savior. Because if, if we bear out here the, the, the national stats, the statistics are that most of us are not in this book on a daily basis. And so the reason that I want you to read is not because I am telling you to read. 
Not because you are checking your, hey, I read my Bible today box, but I want you to read because you realize how broken you are. You realize how desperate life is. You realize how fragile life is. You realize that if you are not allowing God's words of love to shower over your heart every single day, your heart will wander away. And I know that's true because that's how it goes for me. I want you to read because you realize just how beautiful God is. You realize just how beautiful his son Jesus is. And just like me writing snail mail to Cindy from the ship where I couldn't help myself, I couldn't not write that you are so captured by the beauty of God and how he has loved you through Jesus that you can't stay away. So how do we read scripture in a way that makes it come alive? Well, this morning we're gonna work through a passage of scripture together, right? We're gonna do this live. But before we do, let me give you some rules and some resources that I'll tell you up front, it's a lot for the few minutes that we have, but I have to give these to you, and we're going to have to move fast with these. And so if you're like, how, how, how do I get my hands on, on those because I want to I dig into those, we'll actually post this slide deck on our website attached to this sermon under our sermons tab on the internet. So going to move quickly through these, but I need to give these to you this morning. So rules for reading and understanding scripture, rule number one is pray. That, that the God who wrote these words wants you to understand these words, and so you simply start your time in scripture by saying, God, show me what you would have for me in your word. Rule two, allow scripture to interpret scripture. If you're stuck on something, what's the next verse say? Right? Maybe there's something a few verses away that make what you're stuck on clear. Maybe there's something in the next chapter that makes something clear. Maybe there's something in the next book that makes what you're stuck on clear. But allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. Context is key. In the same way that you don't open a novel and start from the middle, what's the storyline been? Where's the storyline going? What's up with the author? What's up with the intended recipient? What's happening in the world at the time that that scripture was being written? Where is that scripture passage captured within the big picture storyline of scripture? And really all of scripture is four big moves and that's creation and fall captured within the first couple chapters of Genesis. That's redemption as God pursuing his wayward people ultimately resulting in Christ's arrival and then culmination, the final chapter where we see that play out in the book of Revelation but really throughout the New Testament anytime there's this look ahead to that day. Know that scripture has one meaning. Many applications, yes, but there is one meaning and you don't get to pick that meaning. And if you say, well, how do I find the meaning? Ask yourself, what is the writer's intended message? Sometimes, like in the beginning of Luke, Luke straight out says, hey, this is what I'm up to here. Sometimes you have to look for that. But one of the ways to find that is how how is that message 
that passage, how was that supposed to be received? How is that received by the intended audience? How do they respond? What do they do? What do they say? What do they think? Realize that the story is not about you. The Bible is God's story. So so what is the scripture revealing about him? How does the text point to Jesus? So John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders and says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Meaning that we read and Jesus is our focus. What kind of literature is it? Right? In the same way, so the, the Bible is comprised of all kinds of different lit- literature. Is it storyline? Is it narrative? Is it a letter? Is it prophecy? Is it poetry? Is it history? In the very same way that, that you read a poem with figurative language and imagery very differently than, than you read a U.S. history text full of facts and dates, know what kind of literature it is. We always want to start with a plain and obvious meaning. And if you're like, Brian, I have no idea how to tell. Let me give you a couple resources. So BibleHub.com is where I go to get ready for a Sunday morning full of free resources that help you unpack the meaning of a passage. The Bible Project, if you were here last year, we did our introduction out of the book of Ruth and that was the animated video that was part of the Bible Project where they throw down... And, and they're, they're working on having this for every book of the Bible. This is what is happening as you read this text. Grab a study Bible. For me, I love the ESV, and so I have an ESV study Bible that gives me notes and hints in the margin and in the footer of my page. And then what we're about to do here in a few minutes is done brilliantly. Not sure I said that right, right? So done well by John Piper and in his series called Look at the Book, website is there on the page. And again, if you're trying to write these down, we will have these for you online. And so you might say, okay, Brian, wait a minute, hold up, right? You want me to read scripture in a way that makes it come alive. Maybe you can do that, but you're a pastor. So me, I didn't go to seminary. I... Didn't even finish Bible college. I started and I thought, I will never do ministry and join the Marine Corps instead. <laughs> I don't speak any of the original languages, even though there are tools on BibleHub.com that help me immensely. So, so my, my degree is actually in economics. So if you're saying, Brian, I can't do this, you can do this. If I can do this, you can do this. And we're going to prove that here this morning. So we're going to use that very last rule, which is go slow and be curious if I can have that. And we're going to work through a piece of scripture, and we are just going to observe what we see. And this morning, we're going to be spending time in Psalm 63. But before we do that, let's start with our first rule, and let's go to God in prayer to ask him to help us understand. Won't you pray with me? Father, this morning as we come to this psalm, we need your help. These are your words. And so guide us, show us your truth. Allow us not just to hear your truth and walk away, but to do something 
about this truth that you're about to show us. We need your help. We need your elimination, so, so show us. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So, Psalm 63. I'm going to read through it once. We'll go back. You're going to see colors. Don't be distracted by the colors. Those will make sense for us in a moment. But here's what we see. So, a Psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. Verse 1, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this parched and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely, but those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king, who's David, The king will rejoice in God. All who trust in him will praise him, while liars will be silenced. So hopefully the colors did not distract you. So normally to read this well, we need to go back a second time and a third time, and we just don't have time for that this morning. But we're we're reading, asking, based on what I see right in front of my face, what do I see? And so we could take this a couple different directions, but, but there are a couple of different players here in this Psalm 63 passage. So that's where we're going to start. That's actually what those colors correspond to. So we've got four players. We've got God. We've got David. We've got the, the people that are looking to, to destroy David and this generic awe that shows up in verse 11 that says, all who trust in him will praise him. So since our time this morning is short, we're going to deal with, we're going to make two lists and deal with what we see that talks to God and, and what we see that talks to David. So God, which I highlighted in yellow, and David, which I highlighted in green. And again, we're answering these questions. What does Psalm 63 tell us about God? And what does Psalm 63 tell us about David? So we're going to work through this together. And so I'm going to make two lists. And you are going to help me, whether you like it or not. So I'm going to start over here with David. That'll be where we put our first list. And then here, a list for what we see in this passage about God. So if we back up to verse, verse 1, here in chapter 63, right? So, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. So if, if I get us started, right, is it safe to say that this verse is telling us that David is in relationship with God? That's cool. 
And vice versa, that's true as well, yes? All right, see what I'm doing there? Just simply looking at what's on the page. So I'm going to write relationship. When I did this in first service, I ran out of room. It got ugly. And so it's probably going to get ugly here in second service too. You've been warned. What else do we see in verse 1? What else do we see about David? All right. Help me out. I'm hearing a couple things. He's searching. What else is he doing? He's searching. What else? He's longing. He's thirsting. And we can say that God is the object of those things. Is that cool? What about verse 2? What do we see about David? Not a thing, huh? Can we say that David has experienced God? (laughs) Why not, right? And what has David seen about God? That's right. So David has, has gazed upon God's power and God's glory. And for God, we can say that God is knowable. We can say that he's approachable. We can say that he is a God of power. He is a God of glory. All right, see what we're doing there? How about verse 3? We've got 11 verses to work through here, so if we continue at this rate, we're going to be here to 1 o'clock. So help me out. What's David doing in verse 3? Praising. There we go. See, I threatened to keep you, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we're like, wow, there's all this stuff. What's he praising God for? Unfailing love, right? It's going to put love here. So God is the source of that love and also the object of David's praise. Next verse. All right, David's praising again. What else is David doing? David is praying. Again, God is the object of what David is up to. Verse 5, I'm going to help you out. David is satisfied. Has some info on how David praises. What's he praise with? Songs, right? So David is singing. Again, God is the one who satisfies. And again, the object of what David is up to. About verse 6, what's David up to? All right, so he's awake. He's meditating. Again, God is the object of that meditation. All right, I'm running out of space. We're going to keep on going. Verse 7, what do we see that about David? 
right? He's singing. He's protected. God is helping him. And God is the one who helps. God is the one who protects. Verse 8, what's David doing? He's clinging. He's being held securely. We can say that God is not even sure this is a word, but God is cling worthy. That God is strong, God is secure. Verse 9. What do we see there? That's right. There's a protection piece there. He's trusting. David's a victim, right? Somebody is chasing after David, right? Verse 10 refers to those people. We can make a list for them. We just don't have time to do that this morning. Verse 11, David's taking what? Taking joy in God. And again, God is the object. God is the source of David's trust and of David's praise, So see what we just did? We just simply made a list, two lists of of what we see in front of our faces, of what the scripture tells us about David, tells us about God, and what that has forced us to do is to go slow and truly see what's in the scripture passage, right? We can go back through and and look for words that, that impact the flow of the scripture, Words that repeat, right? The the word praise is in this chapter on repeat. Words that contrast or compare conjunctions, words that indicate cause and effect, and words that clarify. And there's a number of those in this passage, but again, we don't have time to do that this morning. So just want to jump to context. So this passage actually gives us the backstory of of David is, is writing what he writes and the situation that's happening in the background is this. We saw that in the header. A Psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah which helps us understand the descriptions that that David uses. He says of himself that that he is searching and thirsting and longing and that things are parched and the land is weary and there is no water. And in verse 9, we have the line, but those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. So that's the context. Things are tough for David. Somebody is chasing him down. And so if we just end with that, with what we've seen, notice, didn't use any special tools, didn't pull out any commentators, any commentaries, right? Didn't have to use any lifelines and call any theologians. We just looked at simply what was in front of our faces. And so if we take that and we summarize that, we can say that Psalm 63, David seeks God and can see God's power and glory yet times are hard for David someone is plotting against him someone is looking to destroy him someone's telling lies probably a smear campaign against David so that we can we can then take that summary that you see on the screen that we've come up with just by looking at the words of this chapter and start throwing questions at that summary And so I just use the generic who, what, when, where, why, and how. And so as I spent time with this passage on Thursday, the generic questions that I came up with 
were, have you ever been there? Has someone been out to get you? Someone is looking to harm you? Someone that has it in for you? Maybe a person, but maybe also a tough situation that is rocking your world. So in that situation, what did you do? What did you want to do? See, our our normal go-tos when somebody's coming after us is we attack back. We get revenge, we want to fight, or we want to run away. We start a smear campaign against them. We tell lies about them. Maybe it's just to be indecisive and, 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 and not knowing what to do. What does David do? David, and this is from this list we just made, David earnestly searches for God, his soul thirsts, his body longs, he praises, his hands are up in prayer, he lies awake thinking about God, meditating on God, he clings to God, he will find his joy in God. Another generic question, why why does David do this? How does David do this? Because for me, when somebody's coming after me, that's not instinctively where David goes. That's not instinctively where I go. But for David, he has seen and experienced God's power and God's glory. David knows that even in this, this wilderness experience where someone is hunting him down in what feels like chaos, David knows, and this is from our list, that God is approachable. He knows God's power and God's glory, that that God helps and protects, that God is clingworthy, that God is strong, that God is David's source of joy and holds David secure. And so just by looking what's on the page, we've taken Psalm 63 and we've uncovered that for David, despite his wilderness experience, Despite being victimized, despite the chaos of his situation, David detours around our usual go-tos, fighting back, getting revenge, getting even, running away. And he doubles down in his chaos and who God is and what God has done. And so, yeah, I'll throw those generic questions at a passage, who, what, when, where, why, and how, but an even better set of questions is, what is God like? We'll come back to that. We've got a list already. We'll come back to that in a moment. What does God want? So I'm reading a passage and I'm asking myself, what is it in this passage that God wants? Ultimately, the thing that God wants is his own glory, which will be best satisfied through your joy. What has God done? Ultimately, in loving us through Jesus? Who are we in honesty around our messiness? And who is God calling us to be and the new life available to us in Christ? Another set of questions that I typically use, and, and I use these especially to get ready for a Sunday morning that, that, that doesn't allow me to, to miss how that passage is Jesus-centered is how how does the scripture reveal the gaping hole in the human condition that only Christ can fill? Every passage that you will ever read has a gaping hole in the human condition. In Psalm 63, there's somebody that's after David. Maybe in a different passage, it is an unfulfilled dream, an unfulfilled hope. 
Maybe it's a disappointment. Maybe it's, it's a trouble. Maybe it's, it's a problem, a hurt, a sin. What are the ways that we try in our limited wisdom and strength to fill that gaping hole? And why don't those attempts work? Right? When somebody's coming after me, I want to I either run away or I want to attack. Common sense tells us that's not going to work. Our very human experience tells us that's not going to work. So how does Jesus fill that gaping hole? Again, from from Psalm 63, that Jesus, through his death, through his life, through his resurrection, because of what he has done for me as his child, that puts me in a position of unshakable security. So because Jesus has filled that gaping hole, how does that compel us to respond to him in glad surrender? And again, looking to Psalm 63, no matter what, because of who God is, no matter what, and God, I am secure, no matter what happens in that very ugly situation, I am secure, and that frees me up to respond in the way that best glorifies God. And so if we hop back to just that very first question, what is God like? We already have an entire list here. And realize ultimately that these characteristics double down within the person and the work of Jesus. Displayed in spades in Christ's life. His death and in his resurrection. So for David in his wilderness experience. The fact that he is being chased in in his tough situation. He is running to God. He is looking to cling to God because of what he knows is true about God. And so if this is what David does in Psalm 63, what's your move as you face that wilderness situation, that tough spot in your life? Because you have a choice. Will you do what David does and will you look to the bigness of God or will you look to the bigness, the overwhelming bigness of your wilderness situation, of your hurt? of your tough spot in life. And if you say, hey, I'm running to God, what does that tangibly look like? For David, he is pursuing that active, intimate, conversational walk with God that we only get out of scripture. He's searching, he's thirsting, he's longing, he's praying, he's thinking about God, he's meditating. So that's what David does, but to read scripture well, you have to ask yourself, what will I do and why will I do it? So do you see what we just did there? We took a psalm that most of us, including myself, would fly through or we just read it for information and move on and we've turned it into something more. We've read this psalm in a way that brings us to a crossroads, that brings us to a decision point. If this is who God is, how will I respond? And if we do this, if we're willing to take time and go slow, yeah, I made a list, but you can do that in your mind. If, if you are willing to go slow with scripture and ask questions of what you see there, that is reading in a way in which to be transformed. 
Because you are allowing that scripture to speak. You are allowing God to, through his word, to speak into your life. This is how you read scripture in a way to make it come alive. This is how you read the Bible in a way that makes it real in your everyday life. And so if you take those questions and you take those questions to God, if you take those questions and any decisions that that you may have made and say, God, hey, I need your help in this. What you've done is You've, you've taken what God has said in his word and you are responding back to him and that's conversation. You are in an active, intimate conversation with the creator king of the universe through the conduit of his word. And so I realize that I just gave you a lot but the, the bottom line for us is that God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you through his word. Are you listening? Will you go slow by, 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 by going slow with his word? As we close this morning, let me, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, our reality is that, and I mentioned this before, that if we are not bringing ourselves to you through scripture, our hearts will wander away from you. Allow us to see the beauty of who you are. Allow us to see the beauty of your son, Jesus. Who you are, what you are like, what you have done for us, who you are inviting us to be all of that is contained within the richness of your word so incline our hearts to your words draw us to yourself speak to us allow us to respond we thank you for the gift that your word is to us we pray all these things in the powerful name of jesus amen